Well, good morning once again from our worship center. Welcome you to worship at Spring Valley Baptist Church. Uh, hard to believe, uh, but this is our 11th week that we've not been meeting together to worship, but that we've been coming to you uh, by means of uh, videoing uh, the message uh, and the worship portion uh, during the week on Thursday and then showing on Sunday morning. Uh, all along with us has been Alan Knight, who has been doing all of our recording and then mixing all this together so that it's a, a smooth flow and within our time frame. And I think it's some exciting news to share with you, and that is that uh, beginning next week, uh, we will go to, uh, to live streaming, and Alan will be in charge of that as our stream director, taking all the things that happen in here during the worship hour and compressing them and then getting them out uh, to you by that. So. Uh, the next two weeks, we will be meeting at 9.30, and it will be uh, through the live streaming. But then on June 21st, we're going to open the doors for worship for the first time since March 15th. We look forward to seeing as many of you who feel safe and comfortable in coming. Uh, and to the video that we did earlier, uh, we're trying to get across to you that we're taking every safety precaution that we can, uh, but we just don't know what could happen and take place. So you have to make up your mind about when you feel comfortable about returning. So now uh, we're going to bring to today a conclusion to the six-week study that we've been doing with the sermon and in your life group on messy relationships. And we know that uh, life can get messy in relationships pretty quickly because we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a fallen world. None of us are perfect. We're, we're, we're fallen people. We still sin. And so we have to deal with all of those issues. Uh, we've looked at five words so far that describe Christian traits and characteristics that would help avoid or to mend messy relationships. We looked at love, we've looked at forgiveness, we've looked at encouragement and serve and yield. And today we're going to look at the word accept. And that's, that's a very important word that we need to learn to accept one another if we're going to avoid messy relationships in personal level or even in the life of the church. So, in this context, the, the Apostle Paul in our scripture is writing to the Roman church and he is addressing basically the attitude of judgmental uh, thoughts or judgmental attitude that some of the members were showing towards others. And we'll talk about the diversity of that congregation uh, in a few moments. But as I looked at the word in NIV that I used, the beginning word in chapter 14 of the book of Romans is accept. And so since Paul is talking about uh, dealing with a judgmental attitude and that we should accept one another, I looked at eight different translations to see what was the word that was used there. I found that four of them did use the word accept, two of them used the word welcome, and two of them used the word receive. Receive one another, welcome one another, accept one another. So it all portrays for us that, that attitude of having a, a friendly environment, a welcoming environment, an encouraging environment as people come together to be a part of the body of Christ in a local church. Now, not only does this great chapter uh, deal with uh, that issue about a judgmental attitude and about how we can learn to accept one another, but I think it goes a lot deeper than that because I think it also addresses the issues of lifestyle and influence as well as Christian liberty. What does our Christian liberty in Christ allow us to do? And that was one of the, the tensions held in dynamic there uh, in the life of the church there at Rome. And so when we look at 
the scripture for today. We look at Romans chapter 14, and we'll look at verses 1 through 19 and hear what Paul has to say to us about this concept of accepting and welcoming and about the lifestyle and about the freedom in Christ and how all of that works together in the body of Christ. So, accept him whose faith is weak. That's how Paul begins this chapter. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Through his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone. And none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Now those are some wonderful words that Paul gives to us, wonderful words of instruction about how we can accept one another and affirm one another. And I believe that this issue Uh, of accepting one another and dealing with the differences of faith and what faith allows one person to do and what faith allows another person to do or not to do. Those issues have been around for over 2,000 years. And it's the issue that Paul calls disputable matters. And, And it seems to be more of an issue today. So what are these disputable matters? Well, those are issues that we have disputes over Uh, whether a Christian should do them or not, should engage in some kind of activity, eating or drinking or whatever it might be. Now, 
There are some issues in the Bible that we know are very clearly spelled out. The Bible tells us that it is always wrong to lie, always wrong to commit adultery, always wrong to engage in homosexual activity, always wrong to murder, and always wrong to steal. On the other hand, the Bible tells us that it's always right to be honest, to be loving, to be kind, to be generous, to be faithful, and to be truthful. Well, the problem comes is when the Bible does not speak at all or does not speak clearly about an issue in life, and that becomes then a disputable matter or a disputable other. As some people engage in some activities that other people judge them for doing and saying that shouldn't be done in the life of a believer. And so what happens is we all come up with a list of do's and don'ts and we shouldn't and should in our own life. I, I've, I've carried around a list, mentally, mentally, a list for a long time. And it gets more and more complicated the longer I live, the longer this world changes around us, the more dynamic the change is in the culture in which we're situated. So as we begin this message, let's note that this problem of disputable others and learning to accept one another is not a new issue. And the New Testament makes it clear that the earliest believers had difficulty accepting people who were different than what they were. They were banded together, but they were different. Now, a little bit of background about Rome. Uh, Paul is writing to believers in Rome. And at the time that Paul wrote this, Rome was the center, basically, of the world in Paul's life. Uh, the old saying, all roads lead to Rome, certainly was true during that time, because Rome was the capital of the empire and the seat of the Caesars. They reigned from there. And also, Rome then was a, a melting pot of the world. All roads led there, all kinds of people came there, from dignitaries, from foreign cultures, to slaves who had been granted their freedom from different cultures. And so it created a complex mix of races and ethnic groups. Now, that background helps us to understand some of Paul's words in Romans 14. He's writing to a growing congregation with a wide variety of people. And human nature being what it is, it's not surprising that there were various groups within the life of the church and they had a little bit of difficulty in getting along. Now, as I read this passage, I think it reveals to us um, conflict in at least five different areas in the life of this church. There were some new converts against those who had been believers for a little bit longer. Not a whole lot longer because this was still new uh, as believers in Christ. There were converted Jews, there were converted Gentiles. There were those who were vegetarians, there were those who were meat eaters. And you're wondering, what is this whole big issue about meat eaters? Well, uh, and why eat meat or why abstain from meat? It really wasn't as much a dietary uh, concern or, or choice as it was about the fact that the meat had been sacrificed to idols. Choice pieces of meat would have been used to sacrifice to idols. And then most of that meat was left over and taken to the market and sold. And so there was a dispute among them as to whether you should eat that meat that was offered up as a sacrifice to the idol or not. Some said it was okay, some said it wasn't. So we see a disputable other right there. And then there were those who observed special days and those who did not observe special days. And then there were those who uh, were total abstainers for any kind of alcoholic beverage and there were those who were wine drinkers. So in short, we would summarize the introduction by saying the church at Rome was anything but one big happy family. It was big and they were a family, but it was far from happy because they had some little div divisive groups going on. There was conflict that was there. Now, 
Paul would understand that as well because Paul was a Jew of the Jews. He was raised as an Orthodox Jew. He understood what it was about following the strict dietary laws and about the, the laws and how you had to follow the laws to have a relationship with God. And I'm sure Paul struggled with some of the issues. And I think he, he shares some of that even in, in this chapter. It's a little autobiographical. So when we start looking at the passage of Scripture and breaking it down, first thing we notice that uh, there are two groups of believers that's the way Paul, I think, divided two groups of believers. First of all, we have what he called the weak Christians, and they're the ones who basically operate under a legalistic system. Uh, several times in this passage, uh, Paul talks about uh, a weak Christian. In verse 1, he says, accept him whose faith is weak. In verse 2, he says, another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So we can deduce from that that a weak Christian is one who still lives under legalism. And, and what does that mean? Well, it means that God has a list of what's right and what's wrong, and a legalist goes a little bit uh, farther than that who has added to that list, and not only added to God's do's and don'ts, but some of the traditions of the culture that were man-made. And so they say, this is, this is my list, and you have to live and abide by this list. And the second characteristic of a weak Christian is that they live under legalism. They often condemn those who don't follow their list. I like the way that Ray Stedman, a preacher from another generation, said about legalists. He said, a legalist sees Christianity as a thing of rules and regulations. In his heart, he believes he can gain God's favor by doing certain things and abstaining from doing other things. Basically, he's still trying to earn a right relationship with God and has not yet accepted the way of grace. And then I love this last statement. He says, a legalist lives in mortal terror that some Christian somewhere is enjoying himself. Well, I would say if you can't enjoy your faith, then you don't have the right kind of faith because God meant for us not to be bound by a legalistic set of laws or codes. That's why Christ came. Salvation is through grace and by faith. So a legalist almost says, you know, if you're not really miserable, you're not really a good Christian. Somebody else described them as having a, a Baptist holy look, which is a combination between acid indigestion and a migraine headache. Well, you know, we've all got a list. So here were the weak Christians that Paul said they're legalistic. The second group of people, those he called the strong Christians, and they lived under the principle uh, of liberty. Now, was Paul a weak Christian or a strong Christian? Well, I think Paul describes that in, in chapter, uh, later on he says in this chapter, we who are strong, uh, in, ver in chapter 15, verse 1, we who are strong should bear with the weak. So Paul would consider himself to be strong, and he needed to bear with those who were weak. Now, these who enjoyed their liberty in Christ were set free from man's list. They followed God's law. They followed God's list of do's and don'ts. But they were set free from a, a prejudiced man listing of things that you should do and shouldn't do. And over the years, over the last 40 years, I think back and I think about the different things that we've gone through. A worship war has continued since about 1974, and it, it, and it evolved from argument over whether somebody uh, singing a solo on Sunday morning in the hour of worship should use a, a, 
a, a, a track accompaniment, which they call canned music, or should it always be live accompaniment, to where we went to the move from traditional to contemporary worship, and that's where it really got to be a, a worship war. And we braved some of those things, you know. We braved some of those things. But along the way, we've had to discover some things that have almost been taboo in the life of the church, that they're actually affirmed in the Scripture. Two of them, I think, are about, about clapping. A lot of people don't feel comfortable in clapping in, in, in the life of the church. Thirty years ago, we didn't clap in the life of Spring Valley Baptist. But in the Bible, it gives us a full right to do that. Uh, in Psalm, uh, 140, Psalm 47 says, Clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. So I think it's okay to do that. What about raising hands? Some people raise their hands in worship, while some don't. Psalm 63 and a lot of other places say, I will lift up my hands unto the Lord. And then we get with some of the, the musical instruments that we use, drums, guitars, and all those kinds of things, cymbals even. And you, and you read in the Scriptures, one example is Psalm 150 that says, Praise the Lord with clashing cymbals and the sound of drums. So it's all a part that God approves. It's just been some man-made taboos that, that hold people back from enjoying some of that worship. I think we've passed over those kinds of things, but we still need to be concerned about the weak as we deal with these issues. And I think the ones under liberty also we need to point out are careful that, uh, about, about, or should be at least anyway, about never offending a weaker Christian. The, the whole point of, of the way that one lives under liberty is that he or she is free in Christ. But at the same time, Paul affirms the fact, as he says in verse 20, all food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. You see, that's so important. That's, that's fundamental in, in, in preserving the unity in the life of the church that's created by the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week. It's fundamental to accepting one another, and especially those who are weaker in their faith. That Paul says that the one who is under liberty recognizes all food is clean, but it is wrong for man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Now, I want to I reference two other passages of Scripture that Paul wrote that I think speak to this. Uh, one of them is in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 through 13. And basically he's addressing the same issue. He says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. See, those who operate under liberty, exercise their freedom, should not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you, have, sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way, you wound their weak conscience. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. Those are strong words that Paul gives to us there. Then we go over in 1 Corinthians to chapter 10, verses 23 through 33. And Paul talks about every believer's freedom. And he says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. He says, everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. He says, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. 
If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake. The other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? Now, this is what it all boils down to. Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So Paul had a good handle, I think, on that. And I think the bottom line is that Paul is saying that Life in, in the Christian community, known as the church, is all about glorifying God in worship and growing disciples through the ministry of the life of the church. And that should be what is behind every thought and every action and every vision we have for the life of our church. And the spirit of humility and freedom says this, for the sake of the weak, I will do nothing that causes a weaker brother or sister to stumble. Now that's what Paul's freedom led him to decide. He exercised his freedom as a strong Christian to abstain from anything that would cause a weaker Christian to stumble. So in those two groups in the life of the church, we see they're stronger Christians and they're weaker Christians. And you have to learn to accept one another and not put a stumbling block before each other. Now the second thing I think we notice in this passage of scripture is that in the first 12 verses, Paul basically gives three basic commands that I think we would all benefit from hearing and putting into practice in our life. Number one, he says, accept one another. And the basis that he gives for that, our accepting one another, is because God has accepted us. In verses 1 through 4, he says, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. That word accept means to open your heart and your home to other people. Disputable matters are those things that we've talked about earlier, eating meat or drinking wine and keeping special days. They might be important, but your freedom says you don't do them if it's going to cause a stumbling block for somebody else. When Paul talks about passing judgment, he means to come to a negative conclusion about other Christians on the basis of their outward behavior. In other words, he said, don't pass that judgment on one another, but accept one another. And the last part of verse 3 explains why. He says, because God has accepted him. You see, God's grace has nothing to do with eating meat, drinking wine, or keeping special days. But neither does it extend only to vegetarians, a total abstainer of those who observe no religious days at all. But since God accepts all people in Christ, we should too. Or to put it another way, we who are planning on rejecting one person, we shouldn't do it because God has accepted him or her. If God has accepted them, why should we reject them? The second basic command is found in verses 5 through 9. That's where Paul says, have your own convictions. Make, your, make up your mind. Have your own convictions. In verse 5, Paul says it plainly. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. 
Now, how do you become fully convinced? That means that you study the scriptures. You study the issues. You look at what these disputable matters are. It's an honest investigation with an open mind for what God wants you to do. Now, notice how many times Paul mentioned the Lord Jesus Christ in these verses. He said, he who regards one day as special does it to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord. He who abstains does so to the Lord. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. I think there's seven times in these verses that Paul relates our lifestyle choices to our relationship in Christ as the Lord. Now, the third thing he says is don't judge others. And we find that in verses 10 through 12. Paul asks two very pointed questions in verse 10. Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? You see, to judge in this context means not simply to evaluate its lifestyle, but it implies a negative conclusion about the way that believer lives. In other words, you can't check them off on your checklist that they are living the way that they should live. See, judging soon leads to looking down on other believers. And we shouldn't do that because we don't want them to look down upon us. If God will judge your friends, then why should we get involved in that? God's going to do the judging. We don't need to do that. We need to spend the time working on our own life. And especially in the time in which we live today, the diverse culture like Northeast Columbia and Spring Valley Baptist Church. You look around the life of our church when we're gathered together in our fullness and we come from many different backgrounds. Many different backgrounds of faith and denominations and some from no faith backgrounds. And we're beginning to reflect a little bit more and more some of the culture of Northeast Columbia that shows some of the, uh, the, the, the um, diversity of, of this area in, in which we live. But what unites us is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come together on Sunday mornings in this place to worship or whether we share worship by virtual means or not, we're united for one purpose and that is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we're doing that, we don't have any time or any reason or any room in our life for judging other people. And that's why Paul says, accept one another. Accept the weaker one, accept one another. We find that in chapter 15, verse 1. Now, the third thing I think we can see in this scripture is that we can find some principles in the acceptance process. So what are these principles then in this acceptance process? Well, first of all, Christians often disagree with each other. We know that by experience, don't we? We know that by reading the New Testament. That, that even in the first century, uh, while they were united in most times, they but still had some diversity that uh, that caused them to disagree with one another from time to time. And that can be healthy. It can be healthy as long as you allow it to be a healthy uh, disagreement. And I think one of the reasons for it is we have a lot of hot issues today that have made, been made public that maybe weren't 35, 40, 50 years ago. And so it's more of a, of a process of defining where we are and what we're going to accept and what we won't accept. I think second principle in this is that we must distinguish between primary and secondary issues. And I think, I think Paul is always referencing that. What are the primary issues? We talked a little bit about that last week. Is that what, is that, that's what unites us in, in Christ. And, and that is that 
It's the central doctrine of our Christian faith. Things like the inspiration and infallibility of the Bible, the deity of Jesus, including his virgin birth, the miracles, his death and bodily resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and the reality of the personal, visible, bodily return of Christ to earth. The other primary issues involve salvation by grace through faith, the doctrine of the Trinity, the importance of the church as the body of Christ, and the truth of eternal life with Christ, the resurrection from the dead, and the reality of heaven and hell. Those are the, the foundational principles in our life. Those are, those are the primary issues. Some of the secondary issues then have to do with what Paul dealt with here about dietary things and about uh, whether you, you're going to eat meat or whether you're not going to eat meat, whether you're going to drink, whether you're going to abstain from that. And see, when we come to having discussions about these things, we do it in love, but we have to hold on to the truth without compromising. In the famous words of uh, Edward John Cornell, he said, it's better to divide over truth than to unite around error. Then the third principle is that accepting others requires humility above all other virtues. The humility here is understanding that God is God and you are not. God is God and I am not. Truly humble people are set free from the burden of having to play God for other people. Let the God be God and you live in his grace. Let him do the judging on primary and secondary issues. Humility doesn't mean no discussion. It just simply means no animosity when you discuss. And then the fourth principle, I think, is that if we truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we can let him deal with those who disagree with us. That's the logical conclusion, I think, of everything that I think Paul is saying to us. Don't judge another believer. Why? Because God will judge him for you. Now, the fourth thing I think that this passage of Scripture deals with is it gives us some practical applications. And I think we always need that, especially in these disputable matters and these things that we've talked about so far. First is, you need to make up your own mind. Paul says that in verse 5. You need to make up your own mind about these matters. And I would give you three questions that I think ought to be a, a guiding light for all of us in dealing with the issues of today and some of these disputable matters. Number one, is it prohibited in the Bible? If it's prohibited in the Bible, then no, you should, should not be engaged in that. Number two, can I ask God to bless this activity or this action? If you can, then that's fine. If you can't, then you shouldn't be doing it. And the third thing is, is would I like to be doing this when the Lord Jesus Christ returns? That's a pretty sobering question to ask, okay? Probably a lot of us have had moments in our life when we're doing something we knew wasn't right, and we'd say, Lord Jesus, this is just not a good time for you to come back. So those three questions, is it prohibited in the Bible? Can I ask God to bless it? And would I like to be found doing this when Jesus returns? So make up your own mind. Second principle then, would, application would be, give, give others the right to do the same thing, for them to make up their own mind. Study the scriptures, study the issues, and make up their own mind. Third practical application is refuse to criticize those who see things differently. You got to come to a point of, of, of disagreeing agreeably. And, and then focus on things that unite us. That, that's the key thing. Rather, rather than focusing on things that might divide us, that we might have differences of opinions on, focus on the things that unite us. 
And that's our, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then I would say a couple of things like this. Live so no one can criticize your decisions. That means when you're living a truly Christian life, it's marked by the graciousness of humility and kindness and compassion and love for others, honesty, integrity, and hope amid life difficulties. And then the last application I think is this. Get your own house in order so that you have nothing to fear when you stand before God. Paul's already reminded us that we're all going to be judged. That's what he says in verse 12. For believers, we judge for our rewards based on what we do with our life, our lifestyle, our actions, our ministries, and all that we have opportunities to do for the glory of God. Live your life the way that you know God would want it to be lived. I, I saw a bumper sticker on a truck uh, this Memorial weekend. Uh, parked in the parking deck as I was walking by, and, and, and the, it really caught my attention. It said, live your life so that the preacher won't have to lie at your funeral. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty good saying, and I think that'll preach. So here we go today. We've been talking about, uh, about accepting one another in the life of the church and in the kingdom of God. And we've dealt with some that was some matters, a, a disputable matters. And let me just boil it all down to what does Paul say is probably the most important thing that he says. In verse 17 he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. If you let that verse be a foundation for your life, then you'll be pleasing to God and you'll be pleasing to others. So we come to this point today, bringing this messy relationship study to an end with the challenge to accept one another as we are. And one way that we can always do that, if you ever find yourself at the place where you're thinking about criticizing somebody else, pray for them first. And you might find in that that God will convict you that you're not as right as you thought you were. And you're not as righteous as you thought you were. And it's God's business to judge, not yours. So let's accept one another in the Lord. May God bless you. Father, we thank you for the words of Scripture today that certainly do challenge our life and the culture in which we live today. But yet, it was dealing with issues back in the, the first century of Christianity 2,000 years ago. So help us take these wise words of wisdom from, from Paul as he was under the influence of the Holy Spirit and apply them to our life, that we live in your kingdom through righteousness and faith and hope and not through a judgmental attitude. May we do it as we yield our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen.